Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Ja, yeah, let's do this. Um, the Gegenpressing Podcast is back. I'm your host Manuel Feit and This should be an interesting one because we had, of course, the big transfer window wrap up earlier this week, um, followed by Top Spiel Weekend. And that's, pro that's our topic this week. Just the two top games, um, of course, on Saturday, Bayern against Leipzig. And then today, Dortmund against Leverkusen. And yeah, lots to discuss and helping me to go through it all is, as always, Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how's it going? I'm doing very, very well. Having a very relaxing Sunday afternoon, uh, despite the, the game, the seven-goal thriller, uh, which should have really raised the blood pressure, but thoroughly enjoyed the uh, game of football. So yeah, it's been a good weekend of football, so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. It has been a good weekend of football. Um, both games, very exciting, lots of goals. Um, we had five on Saturday. We had seven today. I think we should start just simply because it's still fresh in our minds. Um, I mean, it just ended 20 minutes ago when by the time of the recording of this podcast. So I think we should start with the Sunday fixture. And um, first of all, Before we talk about the loser and the end of the title race um, and all the issues that the black and yellows have, and there is many, Leverkusen, Stefan, I mean, that was a almost perfect performance, wasn't it? Absolutely. Um, and in many ways, we've kind of seen this coming for a while now, I would say. Um, You know, Leverkusen have kind of turned a corner with their form. They're kind of back to where they were before. Um, you know, if you look at which teams have picked up the most points in the last 10 league games, only Bayern Munich have picked up more than Leverkusen. And, you know, leading up to this entire game in the German media, you had Leverkusen players making it very clear that they felt they had a point to prove. You had Florian Furtz going on the record saying, You know, I really want to get my revenge on that Dortmund result earlier in the season. So you had a very determined Leverkusen side. You had a team that were in form. And anyone who watches German football will know Leverkusen on their day are one of the best teams in German football. They're, one, they're easily one of the best, the most talented squads, man for man, in Germany. Mm -hmm. Definitely a top four side in that regard. Um And they just well and truly dismantled Dortmund, who, yeah, missing a few key players. But in terms of tactics, it was men against boys. Uh, and, you know, I don't think uh, I don't think that result was unfair on Dortmund at all. I think it, it, I think 5-2 perfectly resembles the, the gulf in quality uh, on and off the pitch between these mm. two teams right now. I think so, too. I think there's... 
a couple of things that stood out to me, um, in particular in the first half, that you know Dortmund didn't have a single shot on goal. Um, the the goal, of course, that they did score was an own goal, right? Um, although I, it was yeah, it was noted down in the end. I think they initially gave it to Minier, but I mean, it quite clearly comes off Frimpong. It wouldn't even have gone towards the direction of the goal. Um, Dortmund's xG having scored a goal was something ridiculous, like zero point zero two. Right, um, after forty-five minutes, and I think that's just that's 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 very telling for me, in some ways that you know it's three-one, um, and yeah, Leverkusen were gifted two of those goals, but I think also where you saw a huge difference is that the back four, Leverkusen's back four, again the own goal aside, right. With Baka, Hinkapje, and Ta and Frimpong, looked a lot more secure mm-hmm. than Dortmund did the entire first forty-five minutes. And then in the second half, I mean, Leverkusen completely shut Dortmund down um, until you know that that very last-minute goal that made it five-two. Um, that's optic corrections, I guess. It's not much more than that. And that is with a backup goalkeeper in net. Stefan, that's a, that's the thing that we also have to remember. Grill is a very talented goalkeeper. He comes out of that Kaiserslautern school, right? That produced the likes of Weidenfeller, Wiese, and so on. Yeah. Gary Ehrmann, of course, in Kaiserslautern doing a fantastic job developing and finding goalkeepers. They all look the same, but he does a fantastic job. Um, I think he just clones them all in a lab. <laughs> but, um, you know, you have to remember, I, I mean, we both have our issues with with um, Radetzky, but yet, you know, throwing in a backup goalkeeper in a game like that comes with some risk. And I think they did such a great job compensating. Grill had to make a couple good saves in the second half. So I think when defensively, Leverkusen looked very, very, very well organized. And that is, you know, Hinkapi and Tar doing a very good job. And also Andrich, you know, playing right in front of them. And I mean, tellingly, Tar and Andrich actually got two out of the five goals. Yeah. I, you know, I think Robert Andrich is actually a really interesting person to talk about here because mm-hmm. Josh Sim uh, t- tweeted this to me during the game. And I think it's a really good point. He, he does a lot of writing for uh, Get German Football News, which is mm-hmm. a, a big account on Twitter. And he said, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to reference it because I'm basically going, this is exactly what I was thinking as well. So, and I'm, you know, as a result, stealing his point. But, he said that's a, that's the kind of low profile, boring player that Leverkusen have that can they can just slot in midfield there to kind of break up counterattacks, and it works. But it's also the kind of player that Dortmund would just never think about buying or playing right now. And I think that shows a huge difference between these two teams. Um, Dortmund. Th- this was kind of my overarching point on Twitter during the game that you know Dortmund's refusal to buy and then therefore play defensive midfielders this season has continued to throw up mixed results. Um, it might be, it might work well when they have to break down a Freiburg side or mm. when they have to come back against Eintracht Frankfurt uh, or when they're playing 80% of the teams in the Bundesliga who they could just go toe to toe with and outscore. But, when they come up against a Bayern Munich, when they come up against an Ajax, and now when they come up against Leverkusen, who have now scored, what, eight goals, nine goals against them this season, um, they fall apart. And 
I think the thing that will probably be really frustrating Dortmund fans tonight after that game, you know, isn't just so much that they lost three goals, but also that the manner in which they lost this game um, indicates wider concerns about this team. Um, I don't think it's unfair to say that while Dortmund as a club are very good at scouting excellent young players, Vadka, Zork, you know, Kel, whoever else you want to lump in there, they're not very good at really building squads. Uh, they're not very good at building teams that can go on to win things. Um, and while the entire debate around Dortmund this season has been how good is Erling Haaland? How fit is Erling Haaland? Will he play? Oh my God, look how many goals he's scored. And don't get me wrong, I do that too every week on Twitter. And then it obviously naturally goes on to, oh my God, who's going to sign him? Will he go? Is he going to stay? He said this about the club. The club have said this about his contract and his release clause and blah, 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 blah. That yeah. sucks up so much of the oxygen in the room that it actually kind of disguises the actual issues in this Dortmund team. And the issues in this Dortmund team aren't that they can't score goals or that or that they need Erling Haaland to win games because that's nonsense. They've scored 54 goals in 21 games. Now, he scored most of them, but they have proven when he's out of the picture that they can score goals. The issue is that they've conceded 36 goals in 21 games. That's the big issue, you know? That is a lot of goals. And, but if you were to look at all the, in all the discussions, all the chatter... Everything mm. about Bruce Dortmund, if you were to go onto the Kicker website right now and probably go onto the Dortmund page, it's it's all just about attack. It'd be about Marco Royce, Marco Royce, Erling Haaland, Erling Haaland, blah, 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 blah. I'm not, I'm not singling out Kicker there. I'm, they do a perfectly good job. But it's I think I think tactically uh, and in terms of the business model of this club, uh, they need more Andriks. You know, they need they need more players like that. They need they need some they need Probably, as you probably said on Twitter, they need to sell Erling Haaland. They need to bring in Nicolas Sula, Ginter, whoever else. I think they probably need an entire back four, to yeah. be perfectly honest with you, and a proper defensive midfielder uh, because mm. Axel Witzel isn't going to be that player anymore. Uh, I don't think Thomas Delaney was that player last season. I made a comment about him on Twitter and some uh, people pushed back on that. Some, you know, some guys who work for Danish football and I said, look, he's perfectly good for the national team. Don't get me wrong. And maybe he's a very good number eight, but he was never good enough as a holding midfielder, in my opinion, at Dortmund. Um, and I think that's that. That to me is is the underlining issue from this game. Do not let anyone tell you that Dortmund lost this game because Erling Haaland was injured. Uh, no. And possibly don't even let them tell you it's because Mats Hummels was injured. It's because they do not have a functioning defensive line and they do not have a single defensive midfielder in the squad um, and I think that was clear for all to see and you know we can maybe go on to talk about just how dreadful Zagadou and Akanji have looked for most of the season uh, Guerrero as well uh, has looked a shadow of his former self um, but so there's issues even with the players who should be playing well but defensively Dortmund are a mess and that is why they keep dropping points this season and that's why they're now out of the title race if they were ever in it to begin with yeah I mean I think it's an illusion to think that they were anywhere near the title race after dropping points to Hertha Berlin <laughs> you know that's just and Bochum right I mean that's just not acceptable you can you can have a game like you have today 
once a season if you want to topple Bayern. That's it. You know, you don't get opportunities like that. Um, I got a lot of flack about suggesting Ginter and Süle as um, as free transfers from some people. Look, both of them are available in a free transfer. And if you can sign them, so one of them alone is not going to solve your problems. But both of them as a package would. Because both of them are currently better than every single centre-back Dortmund have in the lineup. Every single one of them, whether it's Sakadu, Akanji, Hummels, you know, Ginter and Süle would be an upgrade. And um, for those who pointed out defensive midfield, yeah, 100%, I, I completely agree. Um, your defensive issues are not going to be fixed alone by bringing in by bringing in centre-backs. Um, I tweeted this out after 33 minutes. The, the, the passing stats of all Dortmund players, you know, and took that from Transfermarkt. And Dahoud has a pass completion rate of 66.7% as a central midfielder or defensive midfielder. I mean, that's an unacceptable number. You know, that'd be an unacceptable number for you and I if we were playing Stefan. Um, if you lose one third of, of your balls to the opponent, I mean, that's just, you can't, like, that's just not a good number for if you roll as a defensive midfielder, now you can of course argue that maybe being pressed into that position, that's a problem in itself. Um, but that's also a product of not having any alternative in that position mm-hmm. because of Axel Witzel getting older. And, you know, where, where Dortmund have Dahoud play in that position, Leverkusen have Andrich playing in that position. Mm-hmm. And you look, at, you look at Bayern Munich, the way they have constructed this side, there's Goretzka and Kimmich, right? And even if when those two are out, there's still Tolisso. Those are all players that will, will, like, as you say so nicely in Germany, you know, roll up their sleeves and get the job done. And they're not always perfect, you know, like there's a huge drop, of course, from um, Kimmich and Goretzka to Tolisso. But that's still a player who will get the job done in, in, in defensive midfield if you ask him to do it. Mm-hmm. And from in Dortmund, the drop is to Witzel, who was very good when he was first signed, to Dahoud, who was not a defensive midfielder. That's a significant drop. Yeah. And then you add on the back line. And I, I know defense starts in midfield. I know that. I, I have watched football my entire life. I get it. But, and here comes a major, major, major but. In this game, the first goal, that's your back line. Like, what's defensive midfield supposed to do when Sakadu gives away the ball, you know? And then it ends up at uh, Sheik. He, sh- he shots, shoots on goal. Kobel, and I feel sorry for Kobel in this, he stops it. He makes a stop. And then Akanji runs into him and gets the ball, like, taps the ball across the line. Like, I was honestly, yes, Sakadu makes the initial mistake. But what is Akanji doing there? I get it that you have to get to the ball, but... Ultimately, both your center backs messed up in that situation, right? Mm. And that is a back four. That is not a defensive midfield mistake. That's a back four mistake. You can argue that maybe in the second goal when they lose control um, to Leverkusen, and it was a beautiful one, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, the Wirtz counterattack goal. I think that was the second one. Correct me if yeah. I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. it was. Um, that's a beautiful team goal. And yes, Leverkusen get o- uh, Dortmund get overrun. Um, sure. 
you can argue can argue that like maybe their more defensive steel more steel midfield would have helped. I don't know. Um, I think that Leverkusen just have, have did a very good job overrunning Dortmund's back line there again. And then, of course, Dahoud gives away the free kick um, for the third. Uh, beautiful goal by Andre, <laughs> you know, who doesn't only contribute in defense, but also in the attack. And I think that it, that that's like that just kind of sums it up for me. But any new squad construction has to start with center backs for me. You know, that's the priority number one and priority number two, because you need two. And then you need to add a defensive midfield on top of that. You don't even need to think about adding more attacking players when Haaland gets sold. Because there's plenty. There's plenty of them. You know, they brought in some kid off the bench today named Yosufa Mokuku, who is desperate for playing time and then set up the goal scored by Tigges. Mm-hmm. There is players in the attack there. What this team needs is some steel in defense. Absolutely. I think, I think, um, yeah, it's, it, and it, and it now kind of leads on to this discussion about whether, you know, is, 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 is the, is the inherent problem with this Dortmund side, the coaching, is it the tactics or is it the infrastructure behind them? And I honestly don't know where I stand on that. I think we've talked about this numerous times on the podcast this season and, I still have some sympathy for the coaching staff at Dortmund because, you know, you look at the 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 the, the support they've been given, mm. and it's honestly not great because I know Dortmund have pleaded poverty throughout the pandemic, um, but I'm 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 still quite skeptical that that has completely drained them of all resources. They're still one of the one of the richest clubs in the world. We we forget that because we at least we do in our business. We're comparing we're constantly comparing them to, you know, these clubs in England and Italy or wherever else that have entire Gulf states behind them. But Dortmund's in terms of their revenue and the money that they have in the bank are still one of the biggest clubs in the world. And you look at that squad and you think it's crying out for investment. So why have they only spent maybe like what forty million euros in the summer on a forward who, whether or not he was supposed to be a Jaden Sancho replacement, is up for debate. And I say that because uh, Malin has never been a tricky winger who plays out wide. Uh, he mm-hmm. was always more of a number nine in Holland, and since he's came to Dortmund, that's where he's played as well. Even though he didn't do a very good job of it against Leverkusen. Uh, but he's certainly not a winger, so he was never, he was never expected to come in and step into Jaden Sancho's shoes. And you know, Marco Rosa said, "Look, we're changing the formation around anyway, so that's fine." But he, he's, he's, he was given a striker from Holland, who's now taken about six months to get better. I think Malin has gotten better, and I think he'll be a good player for Dortmund in the long run. But that's that's where most of the money's gone. They brought Cobell in. Obviously, he's a very good goalkeeper as well. But that was. Yeah. 50 million euros, I think, maybe. This is pocket change for Dortmund, a club of Dortmund size. Where is the investment? Where is the support? I, I, I can't help but think, uh, you know, Marco Rosa and his coaching staff probably go home every weekend and they take out a knife and just start stabbing one of the pillows on their couch or something because, they, you know, <laughs> they, or, or, they've, or they've got one of those... Uh, you know those those training things that boxers use to you know a, you know a, a dummy a, a crash dummy mm-hmm. and they just put the boxing gloves on and just go to town on that for an hour or two because 
I, I'm hesitant to really properly uh, criticize Rosa and his coaching staff until they've actually been given the resources because at the moment they're nowhere near what uh, I know I know maybe this is kind of also the contrast maybe this has also been kind of something that's flown the radar because Bayern Munich also haven't spent any money but the big difference there is that Bayern Munich already have the squad that they want and the squad that can go on and achieve the things that they want to achieve. Their goal right now is just to make sure they don't lose any of those key players. Dortmund yeah. aren't there. Dortmund, don't get me wrong, and this goes back to the Haaland debate where it's all about Haaland and whether he's going to stay or whether he's going to go. Yeah, sure, a lot of their time and resources will go into whether they can keep Haaland and maybe Bellingham, etc. But they're not there yet in terms of a lot of positions in the squad. Um, you can't honestly tell me that Dortmund, their, their recruitment department and the board, which is Michael Zock uh, and, you know, Vatska, et cetera, et cetera, Sebastian Kill, you can't honestly tell me that they look at this squad and say, we don't have to spend any money because they absolutely do. And that's and that's kind of where I'm still reluctant to blame Rosa entirely mm. for this uh, because I think uh, unless unless the club can come out and say, look, we know we have to spend money, and they spend money in in in, in the summer, and you know they bring in two or three defenders, a defensive midfielder, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then it's all on Rosa. But at this moment in time, I think he's I think he's I think he's stuck trying to coach this team with one hand tied behind his back. Yeah, and you and I mean, in contrast to that, you see. Um, the investment made by other teams in the Bundesliga hmm. um, in those positions. Leverkusen is a good example. Hinkapia and Kusunu came in, right? Andrich came in. Um, that's three big, that was three big signings for them. And then, only then, did they bring in another striker in Sada Asmoon, who we, of course, did not see today because um, he's still working on his fitness. Um, we talked about him in depth in the last episode. We did the big transfer roundup, which is actually, you know, a good episode, I think, to listen back to for anyone listening to this podcast because um, for the next two or three weeks, we're like, that's, that's a show. If you want to know anything about any of the new signings in this league, just go back to this. Um, so I want to just give that another shout out. But... You know, I think that is just a huge difference in terms of where those teams are. Um, and Leverkusen have done a fantastic job. And it made a huge difference today um, in terms of of the result. Because they essentially shut Dortmund down where the, the reverse fixture was 4-3. You know, after Dortmund coming back and winning, um, that didn't happen this time. Leverkusen just shut it down. And yes, there was a last-minute goal by Mukuku. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I mean, at that stage, that happens. Um, and yes, Leverkusen have only conceded two goals less than Dortmund, um, 34, right? I mean, yes, there was there was a lot of issues with that defense, but it's coming together. But I kind of want to just point that out the clubs that are very serious about long-term, they all have invested in defenders. You know, everyone around them has. Um, and I think that is sort of where you start building your teams. And in terms of what it comes to money, Stefan, and you're quite right. They are not a poor team. They're not a poor club. And the yes, the, the pandemic is hurting. And the silly attendance thing 
um, you know, the populism in German German government is hurting them in terms of them still not allowing more attendance. That's going to end probably very soon because it's really just silly now. But yes, so that's hurting them, but they still have the same resources that an Atletico Madrid mm. who won the title in the last couple of years in Spain in a league that's in some ways more difficult for them to win because there's two teams with more resources. It used to be two teams with more resources than them. Of course, Barcelona is a completely different story now, but still they've done it. And you just know that that team is constructed with a defense first mentality, right? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And they don't sell their star players every two or three seasons, um, Yeah, which is the difficult thing. But yeah, this is, I could probably go on a rant for about an hour about my continued um, disappointment in the tactics I've seen in the Bundesliga this season, just because, you know, I made a joke about it after the game, defending is banned in the Bundesliga. And it certainly, honestly, it seems that way. I, th- I actually thought it was really interesting. Maybe it's a good way to segue to the Bayern game. I don't know. Yes. But, um, you know, Julian Nagelsmann only played really kind of one or two mid- uh, midfielders um, against... RB Leipzig, and he was asked why he played such an attacking formation, and he said, look, I just I can't really justify dropping any of my attacking players right now. And I can completely understand why, because throughout this entire division, there isn't a single team that really prioritizes defensive football. There's maybe Freiburg, but you know, even they've actually started shipping quite a lot of goals recently. Um, maybe Bochum at home, I don't know, but I'm talking mm. big established clubs here. Um, and when you're a Bayern Munich head coach, it works fine. I mean, <laughs> RB Leipzig gifted two goals to Bayern because they were determined to try and pass the ball out of defence. Uh, and yeah. Tedesco said as much himself after the game. Um, now he kind of chalked up and said, "Look, sometimes these things happen." I, I'm, I'm, I'm fed up watching teams try and pass the ball out of defence when they're not good enough to do so, or when they're playing teams that are much better than them. Uh, or when I'm, you I'm go honest... Manuel Neuer. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think Leipzig should have been punting, maybe not punting the ball at the park all day. Of course, they have to play their own game, but mm. uh, it's it, it. So you know, to kind of go from Dortmund to Bayern here, um, there's 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 really no team that actually prioritises defensive football in this league, and I think it'd be really interesting if you had a team that did. And that's exactly what Tedesco is trying to do with Leipzig. Now, I actually think the tactic kind of went out the window here to to a large extent. Um, You can tell that Leipzig have far more confidence than they used to under Jesse Marsh. You can tell the players are on form. Uh, I I thought Leipzig's counter-attacking was outstanding. Uh, You know, they really, really cut through Bayern Munich like there was nothing there. Um, and you know, and, and even though they and I and you know, I thought you know, for example, Vardio was actually very good in defense, even though he scored a own goal. Uh, but it, it was a really weird game for me because you had, um, I actually thought in a weird way, Leipzig were actually the better team, even though I'm not saying they deserved to win the game. I think they probably might have deserved a draw. I think this game could have finished a draw, uh, on, an, on another day. Such was, you know, I thought Leipzig were so good. They just individual mistakes. I guess, as you would call it in tennis, unforced errors, you know, mm. uh, in the sense that it wasn't so much Bayern where 
force them to play their game. It was just Leipzig make mistakes. And I, I think Leipzig could probably walk away from this game. Um, you know, obviously they lost. They still give a good account of themselves. And it was further proof that they are really beginning to turn things around under Tedesco. Um, and I think that should be seriously concerning for Dortmund, for Leverkusen, for any other team in that top four, because I wouldn't be surprised if between now and the end of the season, RB Leipzig, you know, go on to pick up just as many points as any other side. Um, I, I really thought they were that good. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was an interesting game. I didn't, I, I didn't think Bayern Munich were very good at all, to be honest with you. I didn't think defensively they were very good either. But I think that just kind of shows where the Bundesliga is right now. I think when Nagelsmann comes up against good teams in Europe, he'll set up his side properly and defensively, and they will defend well. But week in, week out, uh, he knows his team can just score more goals than the other sides, and it usually works. Yeah, I mean, it is the nature of the league, right, that all teams press very high mm. and do force errors. I think that is that is the, the product of the league is very much geared towards that, and um, pretty much all the coaches working um, in the league have that sort of mindset um it is a product of Ralf Rangnick and Red Bull isn't it this really really high press and I looked at this lineup when they came out of both those lineups and I thought oh, wow uh three four two one for both of them I <laughs> we, I think we all knew what was going to happen um, when we saw it and the game did not disappoint um I think that on their current form it is really too bad that that Leipzig chose the, um, the wrong coach to start the season with. Uh, I think Tedesco now in hindsight. And I got this wrong too. Um, I think lots of people did. I was not convinced that Tedesco was the right man. I um, I completely have to reverse that. Um, I think that Tedesco is probably the perfect appointment for this club just because he's willing to, to essentially build on what Nagelsmann left behind, right? Um, this three four two one could have been in an exact Nagelsmann lineup, and um, although we didn't see it much in this game, he does like to control. And it, the, the the whole fact that Guardiola is now playing um, essential minutes, and he was such an important signing for them. And I, I I love Guardiola. I think he's a great signing for this club. Yes, he scored an own goal. Okay, happens. Um, I think in this game there were so many unforced errors that um, it went back and forward. Uh, but at the same time, like, this this club is on the up. And you said before the podcast, we're now talking about the four best teams in Germany, right? Leipzig are not in the top four yet. Yet. Mm. They will be in the top four by the end of the season. I think the top three, as we have it right now, that's set, right? Bayern, mm. Dortmund, Leverkusen. Leipzig will be in that top four. And rightfully so. This is this is a team that's, that's very well built. Um, I think... I personally think that's the second best squad in Germany behind Bayern. Mm. Um, and Tedesco is going to get the best out of them from here to the end of the season. And he's going to, to do eventually get into that top four. The difference in this game for me, um, I think there was 71 minutes where both sides went, okay, full on, full throttle. Let's just punch each other out. It was like two boxers going at each other, right? And then when Bayern made it, uh, when Bayern got the third, Gnabry, of course, of Guardiola, um, that's when they said, okay, let's slow this down. 
and put some control on it. Let's put the brakes on it. Mm. And I think Soboslai had a shot on goal right on Neuer. And then I think there was one other opportunity by Nkunku. But that was it. And I thought that was very interesting how Nagelsmann almost said to his boys, okay, that was fun. Um, but we can't keep going this style because Leipzig will score third. Eventually they will. So we have to kind of put the brakes on this. And they did so very effectively. Uh, but I mean, overall, this was a fascinating game to watch. You know, Bayern Leipzig, Stefan, for me, over the last few years, and I've seen a few of them, including the first big one in Leipzig where that ended 4-5 four, uh, four, for Bayern, um, live on location. And it's always been interesting. It's always been an interesting match. And it's always been very close, um, except for the one, I think the only game that wasn't close was the one where Marsh was in charge in the reverse fixture, right? That ended 4-1 for Bayern. Mm. But other than that, those two games... Those games have always been very close. And it is really too bad Leipzig had such a slow start because I think they are more of a natural competitor for Bayern than Dortmund is. Yeah, and I think the two reasons for that is that Leipzig are obviously very, very good at identifying head coaches and they're very, very good at identifying players across the pitch. Um, If you look at... I think the other big reason here is that Leipzig have spent a huge amount of money. I think it kind of goes unnoticed mm-hmm. to the extent because they don't spend it all on one player. But if you look at transfer marks do a good job of this. There's, there's pages to help you find these things. But if you kind of look at this total spending, uh, and I and I mean as in spending after uh, what the money the, the 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 figure left after you've taken off your sale, this, the the money you've made from player sales. Uh, I think Leipzig are second only to Bayern Munich in the in the league. So yeah. you know they've they've ran a bigger loss in terms of transfers that they've made uh, than than Dortmund by some distance. I think in fact Dortmund obviously made huge profits, and, and so there, there's a huge difference there. Um, but I think also if you look at the players that RB Leipzig have sold down the years, uh, they've only sold them when they're ready to sell them, and they've only sold them for big values, which. You could argue, obviously, Dortmund do that very well as well. But the difference between the two of them is that Leipzig just have a properly stacked squad. Uh, you know, you could pick three or four different combinations for that back line uh, and it would work fine. They've got a whole roster of defensive midfielders, number eight. Uh, you know, it's quite interesting that Hidara only came on halfway through in the game. Shobosly mm. came on second half, you know, uh, and then you've obviously got um, even like Benjamin Hendricks, who's a good Bundesliga player. He's coming off the bench as well. So Leipzig just kind of hit you with this remarkable squad depth. And that suits you much better uh, over the course of a season, I think, than having you know individual talented players. And obviously the, the, the fact that they've managed to have Nagelsmann, who's you know one of the best head coaches in the world, uh, he's obviously worked his wonders there for a number of years. Uh, I thought Ralph Hasenhutl, who I still think is an outstanding head coach, he did the, mm-hmm. he did the job there as well beforehand. And I think Tedesco is a, a natural successor to both of them. And hopefully he'll go on to do successful things there as well. Because obviously, even though fans of the other Bundesliga clubs may not appreciate this point, but the league does need Leipzig to really step up in Dortmund's stead if Dortmund aren't going to do it. 
Um, so I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I thought this game was a match played out between two very good sides. Uh, I think Leipzig, unlike they did under Jesse Marsh, looked properly drilled. They knew what they were doing. They were just a team full of confidence, um, which I think has been lacking in the first half of the season. And it'll be really interesting to see what they can do between now and the end of the season because I think they'll, I think they'll pick up some really big scalps. Um, mm. Top four should be a shoe-in for them now, I would say. Which is a weird thing yeah. to say because they have just lost a bind. But, I, I, you know, and, and, and maybe people who didn't watch this game would be thinking, why are these guys praising Leipzig despite losing this game? Because for? they were very good. Well, exactly. You know, that's and that's and that's and, and that's what it comes down to. Uh, it's, it's it's a great performance, and it was fitting of the kind of form that they've been on recently. And yeah, you know, it was, I, 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 an interesting thing on the Tedesco debate is we were having this conversation uh, in, in our WhatsApp group uh, on the Friday. Was it the Friday? Mm. No, it would have been the Saturday during the, during Saturday, the last yeah. game. Uh, and you know. I've I've often kind of wondered. Tedesco has just seemed like such an obvious managerial appointment for a number of clubs. Uh, but from what, when when he did move to Leipzig, I did ask someone I know about this and um, who 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 knows Tedesco very well and and didn't deal. And you know, they told me that he had had a number of offers from Bundesliga clubs. Um, Interesting. This season, and he turned them down. Um, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, but only only reason I mention it is because I think. There's a there's a difference between going to a Wolfsburg, going to a Gladbach, and then going to an RB Leipzig. And you know when you go to Leipzig as a club, um, you could tell that the whole machine just works very well. There's a lot of support there. There's a lot of resources there, and you obviously have this outstanding, well balanced uh, squad that you can do good things with. And I and I, I think it's interesting that, and I wouldn't be surprised if Tedesco who was completely out of the picture when he was through in Russia, which no respect, no disrespect to Russian football, but, you know, he, he's completely out of the conversation. He basically got to cherry pick which club he moved back to Germany with. And I think Leipzig was one that really interested him because, as we've yeah. seen, you know, they have they have everything there for him to work his magic. We also have to remember how Tedesco got discovered, right? Um, he got... Picked by Heidel um, as the Schalke head coach at the time mm. from Erzgebirge Aue. And he was 33, I think, when the appointment happened and played a very good, solid year, first year with Schalke, or way outperformed. And I think we don't appreciate this enough. Way overperformed with the squad that he had available to him. Mm. And then the second year was an issue, of course. We all remember that. And I think that was a really hard lesson for him to, to have learned. And um, not everyone skyrockets up like Julian Nagelsmann. Um, with that in mind, of course, that when Nagelsmann finished fourth with Hoffenheim, got knocked out by Liverpool, that second year after wasn't easy for him either. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think people forget the fact that Nagelsmann on his way up also had a bumpy season um and Tedesco had that at Schalke. At Schalke, it's so much more difficult to have a bumpy season than at Hoffenheim because of what that club is. And he went through that. And then when he... And I, I think lots of people, including me, thought, okay, well, that's probably him done. Um, and then he went to Russia completely away and um, did quite well there. 
in, in a league that's not easy uh, for various reasons. Learn Russian, uh, speaks six languages. Mm. Uh, I learned, <laughs> learned via the broadcast um, yesterday, which is remarkable in itself. And it's, of course, I think a huge asset to have when you work for um, a company like Red Bull. And um, has come back now. And as you said, he got to pick his clubs because I think in the end of the day, um, the perception within the league was that he is a guy who is obviously very talented, is only 36. And yes, the ending in Schalke was not great, um, but there is something here. And I think Leipzig probably knew that Heidel usually doesn't make mistakes when it comes to coaches. Just look at Mainz right now, right, where Heidel is back in charge. And um, sometimes commentators of leagues get blinded by immediate results. And again, I, I, I feel guilty of that as well. And I think we kind of overlooked what Tedesco had brought to the table first in our and at Schalke the first year. And mm. then when he was in Moscow, right? And he, I think they actually, now when I think about all this, and sometimes you look back and like hindsight is twenty twenty. I think about all this and then now I actually think, well, Tedesco would have probably been the perfect choice to start the season with because he is such a Nagelsmann coach mm-hmm. and he's in the same age category. He has the same kind of mentality. They went to school together even to get the coaching badge, right? It's exactly the same kind of setup of football. I mean, he was a guy that's a perfect replacement and he is actually probably, if there wasn't that second year at Schalke, he probably would have the same exact reputation as Nagelsmann now. Which, of course, now for Leipzig, they're in a great position because Bayern are not going to get steal Tedesco off them. <laughs> they already stole Nagelsmann. But you have essentially the two best young coaches in German football in charge of the two best clubs. Mm. And I think that's going to be very interesting next year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I mean, if we want to talk about if we want to draw further comparisons to Dortmund, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens this summer because yeah. I don't really foresee Leipzig losing any key players. I've heard rumblings that um, some players may want to move on, but they still have so much talent there. Hidara, yeah, they're going to just replace them. Exactly. Um, you know, I thought it's actually quite interesting that for this game, Rupert Meccano was on the bench for Bayern after a poor performance. And mm-hmm. Vardiol, who I know is technically maybe not a, a like-for-like replacement in terms of where he sits in the squad, but a young centre-back who's had to fill in the season who they signed because they sold Konate and Rupert Meccano. He's gone from strength to strength for Leipzig. And that's just a perfect example of how this club keeps ticking along. Uh, they never look back in terms of who they sell. And they also never sell players that will compromise that squad, that, 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 that starting 11. And it'll be interesting to see who they let go this summer, if anyone at all, who they bring in, if they have to keep bringing in more, although I don't think they probably do. I think, I think the squad that Leipzig have right now is still good enough to challenge for a title next season. It's just, they just needed that manager in place or the head coach in place to, to, to get them functioning well. And, Tedesco will probably be looking at this situation thinking, look, all I have to do is finish top four and then I have a whole summer to really fine-tune the bits and parts, bits and bobs of the squad that I want to make sure they're really firing on all cylinders next year. Um, mm. Which is a huge difference from where Marco Rosa is with Dortmund right now because he's probably looking at this Dortmund side thinking, 
I need two or three players to fill positions that just simply aren't filled right now. And I could lose Erling Haaland in the summer, you know? Yeah. So these two clubs are in very different positions. One in the ascendancy, one potentially on, you know, going down the hill. Um, and then you have Bayer Leverkusen who just, <laughs> who just love scoring goals. <laughs> yeah. But could lose Patrick Schick to Dortmund. Yeah. That was a big, ta it was interesting that, um, I can't actually remember who, which member of the Leverkusen backroom staff. I'm trying to think if it was, uh, it was um, the head coach. Was it? Yeah, he said. Yeah, saying, yeah. he was asked about this, wasn't he, during the week? Yeah. He he basically said, "I don't think Dortmund's a step up from Leverkusen." Yeah, he said this uh, was a parallel step. Yeah, which is which is interesting. I think Patrick Schick would be an outstanding replacement for Erling Haaland, but I also think he would probably cost a similar amount of money. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think Leverkusen let Schick leave for less than 40, 50 million euros, which isn't far off what Dortmund are probably going to get for Haaland at this rate if he does have a release clause in his in his contract. So mm. it's tricky. It's tricky, but it's 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 not a good weekend for Dortmund fans, and I'm not sure where the light on the horizon comes. But uh, if there's any consolation, Max Kruse has just scored a second goal for Wolfsburg and. They may finally go on to win a game for the first time in, what, 11 games? Yeah, I just saw that. I wonder if they're going to bring on uh, the US boy, Kevin Paredes, if they if they like have a lead. Um, let's actually mm. just take a look and see if he's in the lineup. I think he oh, is. Sorry. It wasn't Max Cruz that scored there, actually. It was a midfielder who scored twice now. Oh, yeah, Kevin Paredes is in the lineup. Um, if you're watching this, interesting. Oh, it was Asta Franks who scored the second. Hmm. Yeah. So, so listeners um, will listeners will literally be able to tell exactly when we're recording the podcast this weekend because yeah. <laughs> at this point of the podcast is when Wilsport scored their second goal, which even even beating Kreuzer Firth seems like a step too far for them right now, but they might just go on and do it. Yeah. Um, no. And then Wolfsburg, I think, will do better. I'm still not sold by Kofeld, but he did get his guy, Max Kruse. Uh, again, we talked about this in depth uh, midweek, so give that a listen back. And before we go, though, I think we should talk about Volker Strutt, um, Niklas Süle's agent, and his comments at Doppelpass in Sport 1. Mm. Um, he was pretty small-lipped, wasn't he? Mm. <laughs> they asked him straight up. Is this asked him straight up about Süle's situation, and he said um, he knows they have decided where he's going. Um, Makes sense to me. It's February. He, he had a month to figure it out, right? Hmm. Um, and then they asked him whether it was Dortmund. And there has been several people reporting now it's definitely not going to be Dortmund. What I thought was interesting here is Volker Strutt not vehemently denying it. If he had yeah. said, they asked him, is it Dortmund? And he's like, he said, let's see. Schauen wir mal. Mm. Um, wow, is this is the relationship between Bayern and Dortmund, uh, Bayern and Volker Strott, who also is the agent of Dajot Upamecano and Timo Werner, history, um, <laughs> damaged? And It's... like, I don't want to speculate where Niklas Süle is going because I, I I have put out feelers and maybe I'll find out. No, I unfortunately not by the time of the end of this podcast. I was hoping. My contact was going to come back to me. It hasn't happened, but if it does, if he does come back and it is something newsworthy, don't worry. I'll put it on Twitter. 
Um, you definitely make sure I'll put it on Twitter because it will blow up. But um, why not just vehemently deny it? Why stoke the fire? Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because him coming out and saying that it's already decided, he already knows where he's going, it would suggest that um, it's a done deal. And the interesting thing to me about that is that... uh, to me, that kind of rules out some clubs. Um, mm-hmm. I think if because he's been linked with Chelsea, he's been linked with Manchester United, he's been linked with Barcelona. And, you know, if I know the English press as well as I think I do, I think if he'd already agreed to move to Chelsea or Manchester United, we would already know about it. Uh, I just think the way that the, these clubs have the relationships with, these, with the media, these stories tend to get out. And when a deal is over the line, the clubs usually can't help but start bragging about it behind closed doors, but it gets out, uh, and I think it would have happened. I think the same would have probably have happened with Barcelona as well. The only club in England that I can think of that are quite close-lipped about transfers this season are Arsenal. Chelsea. Well, and, Chelsea. And, yeah, I was, going to say, I was going to say Arsenal just because they've been burnt so much the last couple of years that this season yeah. they specifically kept a very close, tight lip on things, but I don't see them going to the Arsenal. Um, and I do think that you know certain certain media uh, outlets in Germany have come out and said he's not going to Dortmund. Fair enough, possibly he isn't. Um, but you know, I, I think it's still perfectly possible. I think a lot of people are kind of getting hung up on, you know, because this is the, the every time we talk about him possibly going to Dortmund, the reaction is, well, why would he go to Dortmund? He's already won everything at Bayern. But you have to kind of look behind that. And, and look at the kind of, you have to look at the, the details. Yes, on paper, he's won everything at Bayern, but because of his injuries in the past uh, and because of his squad status, Sewell has very rarely been intricately involved in winning these competitions. And as a driven professional, he probably, well, I don't know, I'm not going to put words in his mouth, so but I, I would speculate that maybe he feels he has to move on to go win things off of his own back at another club. Um, which is what he can do at Dortmund. At Dortmund, he can be a central figure in a team and help them try to win titles. Um, some people said that Dortmund can't afford his wages. I don't think that's true. Uh, I also don't... His agent has said himself, look, it's not a financial thing. And I know agents usually say that because they don't want to make their clients sound like, you know, money-hungry, you know, uh, as if that's the only thing they care about. In, in this situation, I actually think I believe him. I don't think... I don't think he's leaving Bayern Munich because they wouldn't pay him enough money. I think it's simply that they wouldn't confirm that he would be a starter for them uh, under yeah. Julian Nagelsmann. And so I think a club like Dortmund could offer him a lot of what he's wanting in terms of indication mm-hmm. that he'll be a starting player. I also think, and for that reason alone, I also think a move to Chelsea is quite unlikely because I don't know uh, that they'd be able to offer him a starting position. Um, so yeah, I don't know. For now, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm just mm. speculating, but I still think Dortmund's an interesting show. We love speculating, though. Um, I have two thoughts. First of all, I saw a Chelsea fan account say Nicholas Sulis turns slowly. I mean, come on, just before you put something stupid out, watch the guy. Um, second, <laughs> and with all the things that you've just mentioned, who just who lost? a centre-back to Bayern Munich, a head coach to Bayern Munich, and their captain to Bayern Munich, has very deep pockets 
and probably <laughs> an owner sitting in Austria still being a little pissed that Bayern Munich stole three of your key assets and would probably throw all the money in the world at a player just to get one back. Leipzig. That's a really interesting shirt. It's a speculation. Like, please don't radio me. But I just thought about that. They could just do it just out of spite. Yeah. <laughs> that would be an interest. That would be a very interesting move for him, um, and not a bad one. But it's, <laughs> yeah, that would that would be quite something. That would be quite something. I had I hadn't even thought about that until you suggested it. So it's not a bad. Yeah, show. I didn't think about it until when you brought up all these points with Dortmund, and I started just thought like, well, Mateschitz is probably still fuming about last summer. Yeah, it's an interest. I don't think the only the only issue is I'm not sure if Leipzig need them. They've they've got some great central defenders. Saying that Orban was horrendous against Bayern, so maybe they yep. do. I don't know, but <laughs> I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, if you have the pockets and the money to do it, you probably try, right? Yeah. And Leipzig have <laughs> Leipzig have the resources to do it, without a doubt. It's an interesting show. It's certainly an interesting show. I don't think it's a bad one by any means. But, you know, again, I, I, I really don't think we should completely rule out him moving to another German club. Uh, I really yeah. don't. But Yeah, I think so too. I, I still think the Premier League is more likely. But um, just the, who, the way he's commented today makes you think. Hmm. And maybe I'll get an answer. Um Maybe not. Maybe it will be just all over the internet by tomorrow. Who knows? <laughs> um, we'll see. I have. To, I think my final thing that I'm going to say about this with Timo Werner when he left for Chelsea, it was quite late, hmm. right? Um, Liverpool seemed the favorite for a long time, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was Chelsea. So we'll see. We'll see. Anyways, I think that's enough speculation for today. Um, it was a great, great show again, Stefan. Um, for anyone listening, yeah, if you want to know more about all the transfers that are already done and dusted, give a listen to our midweek podcast that we did our special. Hmm. Uh, we'll be back, of course, next week with, with a post post match day podcast. European football coming back soon as well. Um, I am going on holiday for five days skiing. Uh, can't wait. So that's going to be me for the next five days after today. And um, if there is something major happening, of course, I'll, I'll probably make a quick interruption, but I'll be mostly skiing. Uh, I don't know. What's going on in your life, Stefan? Anything exciting? Anything exciting? Uh, no, not really right now, to be honest with you. The only thing I would add is that just a thank you to all the people that do tweeters through the week saying that they enjoy the show. Um, yeah. We do get people tweeting us uh, and we, we don't always have the time to respond to them just because both of us are quite busy and my Twitter mentions are a cesspool at the best of times. Uh, but we, I, we do see them. I trust you. We do see them. And it is it, it brings a smile to my face to know that people are out there enjoying the show. Um, so mm-hmm. thank, thank you very much uh, for those people that, are, that do do that. And as always, your feedback is always appreciated. Yeah, 100%. And please, like, leave wherever you listen, leave a feedback as well on the show. It helps. It really helps. Um, and we've been doing this. This show has been running now for five years, uh, six years, actually. Um, so 
yeah, we really appreciate everyone listening. And uh, on that note, enjoy your week. We'll be back. And until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.